Hispanic Mafia. All right. I think we're back. Is this mic on? Yeah. I'm, yep. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with my crime partner. <laughs> Hello. Hello. She's bouncing. She's gonna bounce for the <laughs> So we got we got the infamous Jess Frizzell, and then we have our special guest, our first special guest. So this is the first the first inaugural, you know, entrant into the into the weird trick gang. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm Veronica Lopez. Um well, I, I, many of you know me as Maria Fibonacci. <laughs> That's not my name. Maria is not my real name. Fibonacci is definitely not my real last name. <laughs> it's, it's, a, a lot of people would say, like, duh, of course it is not. But I, you, you would be surprised of, of the amount of new followers that I get that just, like, reply at me, like, say me, are you aware of how, how great your last name is? <laughs> well, that's not my real last name, but. <laughs> but yes, I am aware. But yeah, definitely, I am aware. <laughs> I, actually, I actually had to type it into Twitter for it to display like that for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am so aware that I decided to adopt it, but yeah, you know, Twitter. Um, so why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and we'll kind of walk through some of your story and then we'll, we'll have some fun. All right, so um, I'm a software engineer. I have been a software engineer for almost like, okay, it depends, like eight years if you don't count before, 10 years if you do. So before uh, getting into real software engineering, I used to code, but a different kind of code. I used to be a physicist, and when you're a physicist, you're supposed to be able to code, but it's very different, like, uh, Performance is not as valued as in software engineering as correctness is. Like, it, you could literally have like um, any any piece of, of code that one that you want to make something with, and it can run for hours or even days as long as it is accurate, as accurate as possible. So, uh, I, I used to do that kind of work and simulations for. Uh, either physics or other type of laboratories. So what kind of simulations did you program? Uh, so for example, for biophysics, uh, for things and in internal organs and things that you couldn't, that you only have one chance to do in real life. Uh, or it can be really expensive to do them in real life. So you, you simulate them in a computer with very basic tools like Fortran. And actually, my, fa my first job was to translate uh, Fortran code into Python code. And there was nothing creative about that process in, like, on my duties. Like, I didn't have to, to innovate or put any new source of code. It, it was just like translation from Fortran to Python to make it like more modern. Like because physicists all around the world, not 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 just in Mexico. Oh, by the way, I'm from Mexico City. <laughs> um, have Fortran because it works, and it's I, I think it's and, like and it's optimized for decades. And most yeah. of the libraries that these Python, um, like all the linear algebra stuff, at the bottom is implemented Fortran anyway. Yeah, exactly. So it basically like just works. And it, as I said, as a physicist, you have to know how to code, but uh, not in the best way possible, and that's fine. So uh, if it works, don't, 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 you don't have to fix it, you know? So, <laughs> but at the same time with more people like coming into the industry and with more tools, it's also important to stay like in touch with, with, with what's new. So a lot of people wanted like Python and, and I helped them with Python. So I used to do, in grad school, I used to do these uh, simulations of the bioelectric fields in the torso. Oh, um, and then at some point I kind of got disillusioned with academics. So I'm curious what your transition was from what you, you know, what you counted as the two years or whatever, doing these kind of programs for physics to, you know, what you call real software engineering. So maybe describe a little bit about that. All right. So at some point of doing um, simulations and that sort of work, um, I was still a student, um, but we, at, at some point we did um, a mobile app for a lab that needed like very basic stuff. And 
you know, when people don't know the very like clear differences of all the areas in software, they just assume that you are able to code anything. <laughs> so, um, and they basically assigned me that task as well. Like, oh, you're the girl that does the simulations. I mean, me and a couple of other guys in the team, but um, we need a, a very basic app with a login and to be able to, it, it was like an admin app. It was not like a science app or anything like that. So, but the fact is that they needed an Android app for for general duties in the lab. and. I did it with whatever I could and that's when I started doing like mobile development and when when I did that um, I asked my friends that were computer scientists at the time or were starting to become computer scientists at the time like you know what what type of, of programming language do you need for this uh, what kind of tools and all that stuff and back in the day it was the early days of mobile so it was very rudimentary java for for android and very ugly interfaces and i i learned the hard way and that was very fun so i think that one thing like took me to another and another and suddenly i started building a lot of mobile apps and i started getting money and which got me <laughs> which was what eventually took me out of full-time physics because even though, like full disclosure, I have never been in the real need of, of I didn't do it, do it just for the economic part of it. But um, in order to become a real serious physicist, the ones that are like in, at CERN and stuff like that, uh, you have to invest a lot of time and like the, in your career before seeing something like tangible, something productive, so I was and just at the beginning. You'll still be poor, and then you'll still be poor. <laughs> Probably because I mean I have always, 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 always been good at math. I really enjoy it, but I think that I didn't shine as much in physics the way I I can shine now, whenever I want. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like, who else in physics can build mobile apps? Like, people must have been like amazed, you know, that you like came out of nowhere and are like, I made this thing. Like, that's yeah. Like it, yeah, sort of like, yeah, it was sort of like, like that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, basically I started getting like money out of it and also like recognition and like an immediate reward, you know, like I built this, I get this, you know what I mean? And in physics it's like, you just study, study, study and work and work and work. And eventually your prize, your reward is huge and, and very rewarding, but, but maybe that's not what I wanted. So even though I continued like doing both things for a while, uh, it, it became like a point where work was not sustainable to do with something else. Like I had to do it full time or, or go back to full time school. This was all in Mexico, right? Yeah, this was all in Mexico. Um, so how yeah. did you go from Mexico to, to uh, Silicon Valley and kind of what's the, what's the story there? Okay, so my, my story with the United States and Silicon Valley in specific um, is like very recent, sort of. So in Mexico, even though we're not a tech hub, um, we do have a lot of tech. Um, our, our tech industry is big, but maybe not in the most fun way or in the most interesting type of jobs way. But it, it leaves a lot of money. So there are a lot of offshoring companies, a lot of digital agencies, stuff like that. So um, after doing some mobile development, oh, this is very, very important to note. <laughs> and I always say it in all of my talks. So please, if you have listened or seen like one of my talks, bear with me. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, I started doing mobile development and the reason why I do distributed systems now, uh, besides because I love it, but also because when you're a software engineer in Mexico, nowadays it's changing a little bit, but in Mexico and Latin America, since it's not a tech hub, when, when you are, for example, a backend developer, you are, are usually also responsible for servers and for, for a lot of stuff that a formal backend developer description um, involves, <laughs> yeah, typically. 
So you have to be like very resourceful. Um, even though I have no idea how to do uh, front-end development and I have never been like besides mobile, the mobile development part, um, I have done like a couple of things um, and I, you, you have to be sort of like a, a jack of all trades. And um, because when I did my mobile apps, uh, I, uh, at some point I became like an iOS and Android developer. Uh, I was not that good at iOS. <laughs> and um, y like clients would normally tell you, would expect you to build the entire thing. They didn't know that there was supposed to be like a person doing like a backend job or creating APIs or services or whatever, or that there was supposed to be a front end designing like all the workflows and all that. So there were very ugly apps, but they worked. And, and that's how I became familiar with the formal backend. Oh, at this time, uh, instead of pursuing like uh, my, my master's degree in physics topics, I decided to do it in, in computer science um, because I was already working like almost full time in, in computer science stuff. And even though I knew how to code um, ever since like high school or stuff like that, I, I felt that I needed like the, the formality, at least for me. I'm not saying that everybody needs this, but like the way my brain works, I felt that I needed like this kind of structure, like to fill the gap. Yeah. So, so you got a master's in computer science? No, I, I didn't finish it, but but it was on the way. <laughs> yeah. so, so like uh -huh. of sorry, of like physics and mobile development and distributed system stuff, like what would you say you like find the most interesting or the most fun to work on? Uh, right now, distributed systems, without a doubt. Um it has always been a dream of mine. <laughs> but like in the long future, um to go back to physics, but like in a fun way. I wouldn't like it to be like my day job because it's really, really, really stressful. Because even though, like it doesn't matter how rich you are or, or poor you are, you depend a lot on grants or on like decisions made by other people. So that, I have to go back to physics when I have a hundred yeah. million dollars of my own. <laughs> Yeah. Like I, I always joke about this and please don't eye roll when you when you listen to this, but one of my physicist friends, girlfriends, and I always used to say that our dream was to get married to someone super rich that would fund our our physics research. Yeah, like that that was our dream and it it is sort of her reality now. <laughs> but it isn't mine. <laughs> But yeah, whatever. The point okay. is, yeah, that I, I, I really enjoy, to answer your question, Jess, yeah, like my favorite thing in life is like math, physics, but without making anything productive out of it. Nice. <laughs> it sounds fun, though. Like, I'd want to do that all day. Yeah. But in terms of like real life and productivity and things that I can deliver, uh, distributed systems. But it, it has to do a lot. I think that distributed systems at this time is still one of the few areas in computer science that is still very close to to academia like it converges a lot like a lot of times that i have had to solve a very hard problem like the only resort is to go back and read a couple of papers about it yeah. or talk to a researcher about it and then go back and implement it and, and convert it into something useful, you know? Yeah, um, like actually what I, I love about it is like reading yeah. papers and stuff and seeing like the, the innovation is like very key. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I, I'm not saying that it's the only way to do distributed systems, but it's just one of the approaches that has worked for me and the teams that I have worked at. And it's something that maybe maybe like the type of problems and the way that you solve the problems is very similar to what I used to do in science, like the, the, the way that you have to put your ideas. I, I would say most people have distributed systems, but they don't actually have much formality. And so they have these ad hoc, uh, unpredictable things that they like. Yeah. Kind of hold together with human uh, sweat and blood. Yeah. <laughs> and bash. Bash. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of bash. So one of the things you, you did kind of contribute to and were part of was um, CoreOS and, and maybe you could talk a little bit about how you ended up there and, and some yeah. of the 
on and so going a little bit back so working in latin america with all those all this resourcefulness that you have to have <laughs> um basically um you have to work there are very few tech companies as as like the definition of tech companies so the tech jobs that you can get over there are usually for non-tech companies so you are like part of the the tech team for something else or whatever so my point with this is that Usually you don't have a technical boss or your technical boss isn't an expert necessarily in what you're building. So my point with this is that many times when something is broken or something is very difficult, they don't care uh, in a good way. Like it's basically not their job to care. Like they literally hire you to take care of it. So it doesn't matter if you're dealing with the most difficult problem with concurrency or distributed systems or whatever, they literally don't care and you can explain to them and it's not their job to understand. And it is your job to fix it regardless. So uh, I, I came into concurrent and distributed systems out of necessity. <laughs> and with this also to go and to distributed databases and all that, because I used to work at a digital agency that the job description was backend developer, backend web developer, and sometimes a little bit of mobile here, a little bit of systems there, but it was like mostly backend development with Python, which I never did because it turns out that the products that they had <clears throat> started growing like super quick. And I didn't have a real background on that, a real experience in that. I mean, I had my education, but but never like a hands-on experience to deal with like that amount of traffic, that amount of, of things in real life. And I never expected that to happen because it's like, come on, it's a digital agency. Like you just have to build shiny things, you know? But it turns out that um, like very specific things, like uh, I'm gonna be like very short on this, but uh, for example, there was a newsletter that, that we had to send. Well, the, it was a bank, so that the bank had to send and and every friday so all of our servers went like crazy on, on on friday and nobody knew why so i was like oh maybe it's this newsletter because that newsletter contained like uh promos for vacation for trips for um free movie tickets stuff like that you know so everybody was just and it was always like on a friday at 2 p.m so and with a huge like um fan base, user base. <laughs> so um, our servers would go like bad. It was really, really bad. And since that was built in PHP, for example, it was gross. <laughs> and but, and well, so, so, sort of those problems. The server farm? Like how big is the backend? Huh? How many servers? What, like what's the scale of what you're processing? Oh, okay. So this was like in the cloud, but back, back in the day when when it was not, not in the era of cloud native and Kubernetes and all the fancy things that we have right now. It was like Rackspace and with just like, you could scale your infrastructure, but it cost you a lot of money. It, they were like complete servers. They were not just like pieces of the server. So I did time at Rackspace. So there <laughs> like hundreds of servers or? No, at the beginning it was just like literally like five servers. Okay. Or, or even less because normally they didn't need it. Uh, it was just like for concurrent transactions. Right. But since this was a bank, um, this, you couldn't afford to, to be offline or to give like bad transactions or stuff like that. So um, stuff like that happened all the time, all the time. And I was not prepared for that. And so with, with a friend of mine and he 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 loves to do this kind of research and all that so we started researching a lot of stuff like what are we going to do because we we came to do like the most gross stuff ever in order to have these services available like even one time like <laughs> i have shared this enough so it's fine but one time we had to to like borrow servers from other websites <laughs> that no one cared about um, and that, well, of course, their owners cared about, but their users like, were not like in large volumes. So we took them down 
and we use those servers for for basic um, bank app transactions uh, because otherwise it would have gone down and we didn't have oh this is another thing like yeah i mentioned the rack space thing and where you can scale your servers and it's very expensive but that was not actually the problem like the problem with latin america is like again since you don't have a boss to that knows about this you have to convince people to give you money like you have to build your case for anything like to buy a new computer to buy a new server to buy anything a license or whatever it's like you really 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 have to convince them so if the day before they bought you a couple of servers you cannot go back the next day and ask them for more because it's like again and again and again so and and we couldn't rebuild everything you know that that kind of chaos so we had to borrow some servers from other websites and take them down and nobody got hurt and we we kept our jobs and stuff like that so say they were other servers that the digital agency had control of that weren't yeah. to the to the client you were working for yeah exactly yeah just to load balance stuff yeah. <laughs> and yeah and in and at the end of the day we fixed that and it was not, no nobody knew about it <laughs> so <clears throat> I know this is completely unethical, but we had to do that. <laughs> and, and well, after that, we, we decided that we cannot just live like that. And that, that type of software engineering is shitty. And we were like, we, we did an amazing team. You know, that when you resonate, when your mind resonates with the other person's mind. So we were both like very invested into looking for alternatives and technologies to work with that could make our lives better because at that point we were uh, like permanently on call like it wasn't cold like that but we were permanently on cold and and we used to wake up like at 4 a.m to restart a server or to restart a uh, uh, um, database uh, process or something like that you know so out of a lot of research we we knew go we discovered go and elixir and so even though we fell in love with elixir at first sight uh we had to be uh like we didn't have <clears throat> sorry we didn't have like a huge team and we have to train them so <clears throat> sorry with go this was very very easy like everybody could be very productive regardless of their backgrounds we had a lot of self-taught uh programmers that didn't necessarily have like all that functional programming experience in those fancy things and we just wanted to be productive like right away so that's how i discovered go how we discovered go and immediately we started implementing everything we didn't we couldn't afford to rebuild everything but like the most like th this was like five years ago so i don't remember the exact points but <clears throat> uh yeah so we, we migrated into distributed systems into like slowly. And, and then the guy was like, hey, have you heard about containers? And so, so it was very, very organic. It wasn't like out of like um, passion or buzz or buzzwords or whatever. It was just like literally saving our lives, right? saving our jobs. And, and, and we were in like paid like huge salaries in so that we could be on calls <laughs> like nobody cared if we were on call or not like they cared that everything was running and literally when we adopted all these new technologies our lives changed like we didn't have to wake up in the middle of the night anymore stuff like that so for me it was very very interesting it was like the very first time that my 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 work had a direct impact into what what the business did and also because like after acquiring like um I don't know, dozens of servers, we uh, eventually we didn't need them anymore because with all these new tools, like in, our code was more efficient, our, our websites and everything was more efficient. So you did projects with Elixir and Go or just, or just Go? No, just with Go. So I, I love Elixir and I have always used it like as my side, my side chick. So, so <laughs> lots of what people are trying to do with their kind of microservice, architectures is rebuilding features that are built into the beam vm 
I know. Yeah, definitely. No, like, don't get me wrong. If and the my go peeps will kill me for this, but uh, don't get me wrong. If I could, I would have picked Elixir like a thousand times over Go. But if it were just like on the technical side, but you also have to make decisions on the human side and the business constraints, the time limits, stuff like that. I mean, Go is an amazing tool, but if I had to decide, yeah, definitely. Like, um, uh, can you quote yourself on what you and what you said about all the microservice or how, how did you say it? Do you remember? Uh, so, you... so there's an old tweet that's basically uh, a twist on Greenspun's law, which is a comment to, about how every program has like a, half implemented uh, bug ridden uh, lisp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I made a, a version of that as every microservice deployment and, and it's on Twitter. We can go look it up. It's like <laughs> half implemented bug ridden um, implementation of Erlang. Yeah. Yeah. So for <laughs> I love it. It's just like it resonated with every single cell on my body. So yeah, for those of you who don't know, like, Elixir is like the newer line that they share the beam is like the virtual machine and it's amazing and a lot of things that we build in the distributed systems world nowadays is basically just re-implementations of what those languages have built in <clears throat> so that's I, why I, I love watching Joe Armstrong's talk about reliable <laughs> systems and systems that don't stop I don't know if you've ever watched any of those yes in the show notes but like that they solved all these problems you know 20 years ago I know, I know, and I have seen people like coming. I don't know if you know, know uh, Joe Joe Armstrong that many people call Joe Erlang. <laughs> yeah, I follow him on Twitter. I like. I actually really have been like kind of now now swayed towards Erlang. Yeah, you should. <laughs> so I have seen people like live talking to him about containers and how innovative they are, and it's just like cringeworthy because it's like no 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 <laughs> because I get both sides points of course yeah. I mean I work with containers and it's amazing and I love it but also you're trying to explain containers to that guy it's just like just shut up <laughs> I, mean, I, like, I like when people you know call out the buzzwords like I like when you said that you didn't use containers because it was a buzzword like that's also how I was introduced to containers like I actually was using LXC which were like shittier than docker so it's nice like <laughs> use things for the right reason versus like we need kubernetes yeah. but, but realistically all containers are they're not real they're just processes that pretend like they're all alone and Erlang's like whole model is based on these isolated processes so yeah yeah, and it's isolated at the language level, which I actually like a lot better. It's like the JavaScript V8 isolates, which are cool. Yeah, only more more powerful. <laughs> but no, well, how, yeah. How'd you get to Silicon Valley? Okay, so after that, I I started looking for more interesting jobs, and because here in well in in Mexico and Latin America, I as I described the type of jobs that you could get nowadays, you could get like much better ones but it's still in progress it's still a work in progress but um yeah so i started looking and i found a lot of opportunities on remote like working remote still being able to be in mexico city but working for for american companies so that was fun it they were like basically consultancies um, um nothing too too fancy but at least like I could expand my portfolio into like American clients in American things, which was like a limitation for me um, before, but because before this, I tried to apply like to a couple of startups in, in San Francisco and they were like, no, you, you don't have any shiny experience. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> but, and I still think like, I honestly, super, super honestly think that those years in working in Mexico city in that type of jobs, uh, taught me the most because I I had to deal with every sort of monster that you can imagine and survive it. And now in Silicon Valley and in American companies, my my job is fancier. Like uh, what I mean with this is that I get to, yeah, it's it's awesome that you can reach a lot of people in projects with a lot of impact, like with CoreOS and etcd and stuff like that, like Kubernetes, of course. But the things that you build 
is like in a totally controlled environment, in a fun environment where you can ask for resources and they're given to you. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a way different type of experience. So I don't have to struggle. Like I have to struggle with other type of nightmares, but, <laughs> but they're usually not technical ones. So, so, so there's kind of two sides to being in a wasteful or, or pathological situation. There's the, the waste of having too much. And then there's the waste of having too little. And exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, but I, I love both experiences, but um, yeah, in, in the more, in the most pampered environments, I have learned a lot of stuff, but not through experience. I have always learned it like seeing someone else or after reading the postmortem or stuff like that. Of course, I have been like in very stressful situations, specifically when I have been on call or stuff like that. But but it's different. It's like a, a, a different type of experience. Um, so yeah. <laughs> what do you want to do? What do you want to do now? What I want to do now. So oh, so basically, after working with American companies, but from Mexico City, uh, I started like recruiters started reaching out because I was finally like <laughs> I, I finally had the shining experience to contribute to them and um, I was like oh, I really want to stay in Mexico because like uh, opposite to the stereotype I really 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 love my country and I really 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 want to live there like for forever uh, but like there are some politics and some things like you cannot get the best jobs in tech right now, you know? So I was like, uh, okay. So I did my best to try to work remotely, but the type of jobs that I could get like that were like uh, a little bit, not, not as fun as the ones that I wanted. So I was like, okay, it's time to immigrate. So before that, since I, it always comes down to a boy or a man. I hate this, but <laughs> Before I moved for good on my own, I used to date a guy that lived in Sunnyvale in in Bay Area. So since I was working remotely, I used to travel a lot. I could travel a lot to visit him. And so there I spent there like two years or so, almost living there. And so I basically lived there and that was really helpful for my career because I could go to meetups, I could go to, to any sort of, uh, you know, and also the informal things. Like I met people, I met Jess, I met, yeah. I met, <laughs> I met a lot of folks that, that would suddenly invite me to work out of their offices or have lunch at their offices and you, you know, you create a network. And so when, when I interviewed for CoreOS and I made it and I moved, I literally moved like one day before um, starting the job because I was already very familiar with the area. It is so close to Mexico City. It's like a four hour flight or a 3.5. It, it's super, super um, close. So I was already very connected with, with the area and with the industry and how everything works there. Um, so... So yeah, and then I I worked there and I really wanted to stay there for a very long time. I, I was like, yeah, I'm getting older. I'm almost 30. So I was like, yeah, it's like, this, this has to happen. I have to be there like for, for some years now, but then we got acquired and then our acquisition wasn't like the most ideal thing for everyone. And then everyone started immigrating to other jobs and I I swear I tried to stay like as much as I could but there was a point where our office was so sad was so empty that one of our our co-workers was totally lonely in, in on her floor and the lights would turn off <laughs> because <laughs> because they didn't sense any movement Oh yeah, so, <laughs> so she periodically had to like go get a snack or go to the restroom or something in order for the lights to go on. <laughs> so she was the only one on the floor? Yeah. It was oh so my God. Crazy. Then just move over to the other floor maybe so that she could be with people. No, because like her, her job was like, we had two floors and the, the floor she was at, um, 
it was like the open floor where we could get guests. It was, uh, the, the door was open. So in the second floor, it was all the engineers and, and all that stuff. And our, our door was closed. So it didn't have access for the guests. So someone had to be there. <laughs> so, yeah, it was very sad. Um, yeah, so as in any acquisition transition, it was rough for some of us. I've heard that they're doing really well now with a new team, like after going through a rough patch, um, because at some point nobody wanted to to interview there because they heard like horrible things from us. But I think that time settled everything. And, and now there are a lot of people where you come from and you have certain expectations about the culture and the work. Exactly. No, yeah, yeah. It was, definitely like a cultural change in like Red Hat, even though it's a huge company, uh, it's still not based in the Bay Area. So the cultural changes in every single aspect is were very different as to getting acquired by a similar size company, but based in the Bay Area. And I won't, I won't tell you more, more details about that, but it was definitely like a cultural shock for, for You decided to immigrate, but you didn't have a place to immigrate to. Yeah. <laughs> and I I was like, oh my God, no, like as I said, first of all, I didn't want to leave. Like I really wanted to stay there as much as I could. But I started seeing people go. And once I, I started seeing important people go, like key people, like amazing engineers that built the entirety of CoreOS. <laughs> Um, that if you look for their names right now, they appear in every single Kubernetes thing in history. Once they started leaving, I was like, eh, maybe I should leave. But I somehow wasn't like very invested in to interviewing and all that. I, as a personal note, I practice mindfulness or I try to practice mindfulness like on a more, not in the productivity way, but like in a more like spiritual way. So I, try to focus all my energy into like one thing at a time, one important thing at a time. So I was like, okay, right now I work at an amazing company that used to be an amazing team. I made incredible friends there. So if I'm just going to move. Oh, and also like a very important thing, <clears throat> like I'm an immigrant, so I need a visa for a new job. It's not like I just transfer to another job. Right now. So uh, a full process has to to go after you decide to to move to another company. So I was like, eh, okay, so I don't want to move, but I eventually decided to move. But I didn't know where to. Um, some people started going to some sort of company that didn't resonate with my values, and I started getting pickier and pickier and pickier. <laughs> and then all this like politics issue with ICE and and the immigrants at at, at the border and stuff like that. So. I was like, uh, I, I, I am a very, like, I, I never cry. I am a very, like, strong, tough person. But I think that that topic, like the immigration thing, is the one topic in the world that really, like, tears my heart apart. So uh, I was like, oh, my God, no, I cannot work at any of these companies. And it was not even about them. It was about me. It was like, I wouldn't feel, like, good. I would feel, like, dirty with myself. <laughs> If I contributed to something that contributes directly or indirectly to that, you know, I know that every company has its thing, but for me, that was the thing where I crossed the line. So a lot of companies working with containers, with the hot stuff where that I can be employable right now are unfortunately the ones that I, that I cannot work with um, on, on a values level, you know? So I decided to take a time off and also like technology wise, this, this is my experience. I'm not saying it is the way it is, you know, the absolute truth. But the way I saw it back then was that amazing companies with a lot of money that could pay me like a decent salary because salaries are important <laughs> um, uh, or with an amazing culture. Uh, where I could feel respected because let's think about that too. <laughs> as, a as a double minority, that is also something that I have to keep in mind. So those type of companies uh, didn't have the most interesting technology for me. 
And on the other side, uh, the companies with the most interesting technology for me didn't have enough money to pay me or were one of this with uh, the value issues or maybe we're not in a position to hire like uh, someone that required a visa. So it was like a lot of things to think about. And I, I really wanted, as I said, um, I'm getting older, so I didn't want just to land any, any, any job. Like my, my next thing that I want to do is like um, be able to stay at the same place like for, for a considerable time and and just make a career inside and eventually because i want to to go back to mexico at some point so for me it just doesn't like work like to skip into another startup and into another startup and stuff like that without doing or building something meaningful you know so you yeah. want to build something meaningful but you have aspirations to take what you're learning and kind of go back to mexico like what do you think the possibilities of building up or what have you seen? I mean, you saw, you gave, gave us a bit of a story about this experience in the digital agency and made some comments about the kind of the, the work in progress. So what would that work in progress evolve to or what would you like to see that? What, yeah, what, so, what would you like to play in that, in that too? So I would love to see, first of all, I'm not very entrepreneurial <laughs> in the sense of like, I have never ever wanted to create my own company, like never. Um, I don't know why, but my entrepreneurship is always because like... You're, and because you're a sane person. <laughs> or a very lazy person. But uh, no, like my entrepreneurship is always like on creative things on where I'm working, but I don't want to create my own company. But so to answer your question, what I would love to see like in, in Mexico specifically or Latin America in general is to um, see like startups or where some something is created like for example let's say uh like prometheus you know that it was created by julius in in berlin and germany and everything is connected to that place and now everybody uses that everybody uses prometheus and there are user groups everywhere yet the the main hub for prometheus is like still at CoreOS in berlin you know that that's the main office that works with prometheus so i would love to see something like that you know like a product coming out of mexico that everybody uses or that becomes mainstream or something like that not even like a company in like full company that would be awesome but like with a product that would be like my favorite thing ever and i would love to contribute to that or i don't know maybe i think that even the case like if i get inspired enough i could get the entrepreneurial bug but it's not def it's definitely not something that I am thinking about right now. But like, and when I say that I want to go back to Mexico, it's not like in, in the immediate future. It's like, maybe I could take like two years or maybe it could be five years or seven years. I don't know. But what, what I definitely don't want to do is like buy a house and have kids and just like, and get a green card and get a citizenship. No, I, 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 that's not like in my interest. I, I mean, I love America. Um, Americans have been great to me, like, except for a couple, but, but, but no, in general, I, I really like your country and, and yeah, so let's see how it goes. But yeah, in the meantime, I would like my next step, I would definitely love to, to be there, ideally in San Francisco or New York. Um, and with something meaningful, meaningful in every single way, like in the social aspect, in the tech aspect tech aspect etc and not just for the sake of being in the united states because if i got like um a non-meaningful or impactful role i could just go back to mexico and just get a i, I don't know a vp of engineering role or, <laughs> or something like that that didn't excite me but you know that makes sense <laughs> I also feel the the social impact, you know, it can't just be like some cool technological thing. I really like social impact. Yeah. And what I've seen in this cloud native micro bubble is that when people care about the social impact, usually it also has like a very big technical impact yeah. because like the humans involved in it, like you can see the the love or the passion that they put into the project. So 
that that evolves into like something getting popular. And that that's what I have seen. So For sure. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think that the ones that don't have that, like they they lack the they lack the care and the uh, you know the love the passion of doing it. Honestly, yes, definitely, definitely. You can see it. You can see it. Um, you can see how how they take care of of like as maintainers or as the future of the project or as like what type of decisions they make um business oriented like that you know that they have to make business decisions without a doubt but the type of decisions stuff like that totally you've, you've shared this journey that you've kind of been on and you know without putting too much value judgment on it like we mm -hmm. live a very privileged life like all of us being able to talk and and the stuff we're we're sharing there's a bunch of people that don't have these same kind of privileges so looking at the the big picture and maybe someone will watch this from mexico or from some of these other countries what what kind of advice would you have for someone who's coming up in in that environment right now for for the kind of like their their career and and what they should be thinking about what they should be doing well first of all for immigrants to learn english i was first of all very privileged <laughs> to speak english since I was a kid because of my parents job and the way we grew up and stuff like that which is totally not the norm in in Mexico and so first of all learn English that's like out of discussion then second of all just be very persistent I I am just talking about my experience I'm not saying that this is the only way you know um, because sometimes people get mad at me because of this, but I, since I was a kid, I am very, very, very persistent. Like it doesn't like, um, I don't get broken like very easily. So when people say no, it's just like, okay, so next, next and next. And people sometimes like in this industry can get like um, easily hurt by rejection and either by companies or, you know, all the mess when you reject a PR. <laughs> how people react so emotionally <laughs> uh so yeah stuff like that like be very like resilient and don't take things personal in the at the end of the day it's just a job it's an amazing job and this this might sound like counterintuitive to the goal of this but i think that a path to success in, in this is like to treat it as a job because it is just a job and then have like the time to to invest in your personal growth because i have found that that has made me a better engineer like whenever i uh, i'm really not that type of person that has like 17 side projects and codes like on saturdays and sundays i'm definitely not like that but whenever i have been like that like in short periods of time i i don't feel at my best like i i don't sleep well and if i don't sleep well i don't i cannot solve problems well uh, like I, I have seen this trend going more popular every time and I am very happy like the more senior the engineers are at least the ones that I've met always recommend to sleep like sleep on it and you will see that the next day it will be so easy for you to solve something or at least you wouldn't be as burned out and I think that at the beginning, I, I started in the industry like almost 10 years ago and we still had a stereotype of like, yeah, you have to work after hours and don't sleep and you know how Steve Jobs and Marisa Meyer only sleep four hours a day and stuff like that. So that definitely hasn't been my path and I think I consider myself like successful in, in that matter. So I wouldn't recommend following the stereotypes if that don't work for you. <clears throat> So you mentioned uh, this this idea of kind of creating projects and being part of it, and and I know this was a at least some of your story, but just maybe to make it even more fine point and more explicit, like what what would you recommend for people to get involved in the open source communities? Like what cause there's lots of ways people can get involved from anywhere in the world if they if they want to. Yeah, definitely. So the way that it has been for me is more than creating PRs or starting with a project or something like that that I think that works, but it hasn't been my path, is like getting more into the conversations, you know, the important conversations, like look like who's building what, you know, 
and try to make it into meetups, try to make it into events, dinners or whatever. Networking for me has been like critical. So once you, you find that out uh, or get involved, like for example, in, in communities, like organize your own meetup, organize your own, um, even, even if it's a one-time only thing, and you can connect with sponsors, you can connect with people that may want to, to give a talk remotely or stuff like that. Like you have to be very resourceful, especially if you don't grow up like in the, inside the bubble. So um, after that, just start being part of the conversations. Like uh, something that happened to me a lot was that I used to feel very intimidated and it was my responsibility. Like no one made me, no one gave me any reason to feel like that. But I used to feel like for the sheer reason of not being American <laughs> or not being part of the bubble, I didn't know as much as everyone did. So when we were like having technical conversations, even if I were talking like with people my age or people with the same years of experience, I would like started to get intimidated and just like, I don't know, just agreeing with the echo chamber. And then as soon as I started getting more comfortable in this environment, I started like adding my own ideas into the conversation. And that was like day and night. Like after I embraced that, I started giving better talks. Oh, that's another thing. Like if that's the, the thing that you like, I, despite what the internet is saying right now, <laughs> just like go to conferences, give talks and, and take advantage of that. Uh, at the beginning, uh, since I'm a double minority and I will say like, like it is, a lot of people invited me to give talks and that would benefit like both of us, like the, the event because they would have me <laughs> and me because I, I would have that exposure. So I always said yes. Like my first talks were like crap. I was too nervous. I didn't bring anything new to the table. Um, at the best, uh, like my first talks, like the best ones were just repeating something that I read. Now, I, I think that I never said something uh, that was false or, or wrong, but they, they didn't bring anything new to the table. However, like with the practice and being persistent and I was never afraid and I was never ashamed. Like I was, I was very like conscious. You, you also have to be very self-aware. I never knew, I never expected me to be like the, the, the most favorite keynote speaker at that, at those times, you know, but I was there and I persisted and, and yeah, I, 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 I was never ashamed, but that gave me like the network and the experience to be able to do it like much better now. And it is also like what I said, um, back in the day, people would tell me like, Oh, you should talk about this topic or this and this and this specifically when I worked at some places you know, that people trying to help, but they didn't help that much. So now that I talk about the topics that I bring to the table, that are topics that n no one or very few people talk about where I can really like bring something new into the discussion, it feels amazing. And, but I couldn't have done that without going through the first years. Absolutely. <laughs> Two quick comments. The, the fact that, like for the most part, there's a very high benefit to just saying the same things over and over, even if you don't feel like you're bringing something new. Yeah. It's not advice to you. It's advice to everyone listening. Like the, the, there's lots of things that are being said over and over and over and lots of the conferences. And so you shouldn't feel like you have to add, you know, your PhD oh, yeah. to, the, to the thing and bring new knowledge. Just to say something in your way, in a, in a way that matters to you. And then the second thing, and maybe even the bigger thing, is representation matters so much. And for someone to see someone like them on the stage totally changes what they think is possible. So if you see someone that, that represents you, like it will change your mental model of-, of Definitely. Of, so take the advantage and give yeah. someone else that gift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say the same thing about representation. And then also to, to your note about how, like when you first gave talks, you were nervous, like stuff like that. Like I can totally like relate. <laughs> And I almost wonder, and it's like, dudes, like, no offense to anyone who's listening, but it seems like they don't necessarily have the same problem, although I know a few that do. But it's like, how do we solve that problem 
for new people coming into the industry because I'd love it if like uh, people didn't have to feel that way when they get their first talk or like entered a new community or space or something. Yeah, no. So first of all, I totally agree with Andrew when you say that you don't have to bring something totally innovative into the conversation. Like it, it can be just like presentations. But what, what I mean with that is that I, I wasn't even doing a good job with that. You know? So I, I was just like ner nervous and internationally speaking. It was just a lot, but, but I was brave. So in terms of representation, I think that you should go for it. Like if you're a woman, uh, specifically, I get very passionate about, of course, Latinas and, and uh, black women, because like we are the less represented in the industry. So uh, yeah, if you listen to this, please reach out to me and I will give you tips. Like literally my only tip to overcome that was like being really brave. I didn't have any any other ritual or or magical teeth to overcome that. It was just like being shameless, shameless, shameless. And I do read the comments sometimes, but I don't I don't yeah, I, I don't take them like personally. Like there was just this one time when a guy was actually racist to me, like literally like straight racist. And, but it wasn't Reddit <laughs> and it didn't even hurt me. I was just very angry because that, that isn't supposed to happen. I was just like, what if someone else, like someone like with that do take things personally or someone younger, uh, it would have literally destroyed them. So, and bottom line, it doesn't depend on your reaction. It like, it shouldn't be like, uh, uh, tolerated like to be there like for someone to have the nerve not just to think about it but to actually open your computer and write about it and even after you wrote about it think that is still reasonable to post it which is like dude you have problems but other than that uh, like you should you should go for it and if you're not Latina and you're not black uh, it's fine you can also ask me for for advice or for encouragement I will totally give you that but um, I don't know. And, and what else? Uh, you also mentioned something, Jess, like, uh, yeah. uh, I mean, I think that, I think that, uh, solved my, my, my question. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I actually feel like this was probably good for an episode. Um, but it would like when you get your dream job, we need you to come back and then tell us. Of course. Um, yeah. If there's anything else that you'd like to add to. Well, I am very close to leaving the fun employment club. <laughs> and so I, it is so sad because, well, it's obviously a good thing to get a job because in my, in my context, getting that job means that I'm getting what I want. But it, it would also be very sad because now I have seen a lot of people embracing the being unemployed thing because like just to be very 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 clear like this type of unemployment where when you decided to do it that you started like not feeling happy or getting like burned out and starting like saving all your money like every single like check for your future or getting into strategies like what i mean with this is like it's a thought decision it's not like a rage quit thing or stuff like that. <laughs> Even if you wanted to rage quit at some point, but like a, a, a plan thing that if it works for you, it works for you. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. I mean, I'm the type of person that could totally do nothing in a day. And then, but this is also very important. Like you don't need to be like unemployed for a very long time to realize this. Like, I haven't been totally like out, out out of the loop. Like I, I am working on some Kubernetes things for Latin America that are supposed to go out like in a month or so. And but in order to do that, I had to leave my previous job. Like uh, there was no way I could have more productive. Please. Yeah, and at some point, I I started thinking about leaving the Kubernetes and Cloudnetics space because I was just so fed up of it. But now that I had the chance to, to work on it voluntarily <laughs> and by contract and in my own pace and with a purpose in mind, 
I find it amazing again. And I, I found the passion that I needed again for that type of role. So I, the, the thing that I am getting involved right now is totally in, in that space because I am good at it. And it, it took like that time away from the, from the typical job to, to be able to realize that I really love it and that I am good at it and that I will be super happy to go back to the, to, to the same space. So if that works for you, that works for you. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And it's, it's fine. And that's it. Yeah. Every path is valuable and respect your path. Yes. Yes. Thanks. People should be themselves. I feel strongly about that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sharing time with us. No, thank you for inviting me. It has been very fun. <laughs> you two are very fun. And seeing Jess like bouncing on the ball <laughs> is amazing. Because like an emoji that when when she gets serious, she bounces less. And when she gets excited, like she bounces a lot. <laughs> Whoever has to work with me next is gonna have to put up with this ball. <laughs> amazing i think we'll just bounce until we invite you back for next time yay (laughs) all right thank you for having me thank you okay i'll i'm gonna click the button